Good morning, everybody. Uh, it's great to see you all as we continue to worship this morning. I'd invite you to turn to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 4. Uh, as we've been in the book of Deuteronomy for uh, several weeks, uh, we've got a few more to go before we um, take a break to go through uh, Advent. But as you turn there, uh, uh, Deuteronomy, chapter 4, now let me pray and ask God to uh, speak to us this morning through his word. Father God in heaven, you are a great and marvelous God. Lord, what a joy it is to gather with your people this morning as we have um, sung your truths over one another and will continue to do, and as we uh, celebrate your goodness uh, to us through Christ, through prayer and through singing and through the Lord's Supper and, and God, even through uh, announcing the great things going on in our midst, Lord, we give you the praise and honor. Uh, God, we are so thankful that you are good to us, that you love us, that through Christ you are have adopted us as sons and daughters, God, that we have forgiveness of sin and can live a new life of ultimate joy in Christ. So, God, I pray that as we open your scriptures this morning and look at Deuteronomy chapter 4, Lord, I pray that by your spirit you would speak to our hearts and minds, God, that you would give us understanding in our minds, that you would open our hearts to receive the good news of Christ that we see even through the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. Lord, that you would shake us up and change us by your spirit to live like your son, Jesus, God. And uh, we ask this in his holy name. Amen. Deuteronomy chapter 4, uh, verse 32. For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you since the day that God created man on earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other, whether such a great thing as this has ever happened, or was ever heard of? Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire, as you have heard, and still live? Or has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself from the midst of another nation, by trials, by signs, by wonders, and by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and by great deeds of terror, all of which the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice, that he might discipline you. And on the earth he let you see his great fire, and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. And because he loved your fathers, and chose their offspring after them, and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power, driving out before you nations greater and mightier than yourselves to bring you in, to give you their land for an inheritance as it is this day. Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath there is no other. Therefore you shall keep his statutes and his commandments which I command you today that it may go well with you and with your children after you and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God has given you for all time. This is God's word. Friends, God does amazing things to show his good character to his people. He's always done amazing things to show off his goodness to his people so that they would be changed to live lives differently because of their new identity in him. And this is good news for you and I today. Have you ever known something or someone and it totally changes everything for you? I mean, just think about 
maybe it's a restaurant, you know, just it changes your whole plans for the weekend. Somebody's like, hey, there's this new restaurant in town, you got to go check it out. And you, and you know about something, so you're like, well, that person said it's a good restaurant, we got to go check it out. Like, I mean, let me tell you, several months ago, but when Farmhouse Burgers like came on the scene, the place is legit, right? It's very, very good. It's a couple blocks up from our office. And I heard about Farmhouse a lot, and so we went up and got a burger, and now I keep coming back and telling other people about it, right? Just this past week, somebody had told me about Brown Bag. Have you been to this restaurant? You should go there. It's great. And you should get the barbecue parfait. It's fantabulous, right? So, you know, if you know about something that it's really good, it can change, like, your plans for the weekend. I mean, somebody's probably told you about that. Hey, I've heard about this new band or this new movie or maybe there's this new park in town you've got to go take your kids to or whatever. It's great. If you know something, it changes what you're going to do, right? But what about this? Do you, have you ever met someone? Like, if you know someone, it actually changes how you live. Like, you can know something and know about something. It may change what you do, like, for the weekend and change your plans. But if you know someone... It can change everything about you. I mean, for you, if you were married, you know, once you met your spouse, that changed everything, right? There was nothing that was going to stop you from being with your spouse, right? I mean, I worked at a restaurant called The Pizza Joint for many years, and uh, there was a a friend there that, uh, a young lady I was friends with and worked with, who constantly talked about this girl that led a Bible study she was in going on and on. you got to meet this girl. She's great. She's fantastic. She loves Jesus. She's groovy like you. And so I heard about this mysterious woman named Melody, right? And I heard about this girl for weeks and weeks, and then I finally met Melody, and yes, there was nothing that could stop me from pursuing her. And now we're married with four kids. So think about that. There's oftentimes where you know about something that changes maybe what you do, but if you know, know someone intimately, it changes how you live, right? And for many of us, if you're married, it's your spouse. It could be a family member. It could be a, a very close friendship, or, or maybe that's how you came to know the Lord. It's somebody that you know and, and trust introduced you to the Christian faith and said, I want to share with you. And see, that's the beauty of the gospel is, is oftentimes you can know about something hearing second or third hand, but once you experience uh, life in the gospel, it changes everything. And the beauty of the gospel is that we can know God. I mean, that's an astronomical concept. Either, either we can't wrap our heads around it or we make it too trite of an issue. But if you think about it, we can know God. Is that not just a mind-blowing concept? I mean, if we can too trivially just think, yeah, I can know God, then our understanding of God is way too small and limited. Or if we think, wow, God is so far beyond our reach, that, that is really you know, the, the pattern of many philosophies and religion. is like, wow, God is this huge ethereal force way out there, and if you want to get to contact him, you have to live life this way, you have to do these certain rules and do these kind of things, and if you get, live a good life, maybe you have some hope of getting a glimpse of that force being way out there. But the beauty of the gospel is that in Christ, through Christ, we, we know God intimately, I mean close. If you read the scriptures, God time and time again describes himself as a father who loves his children. He's, he's a groom who's chasing his bride. I mean, he, God is knowable, 
in Christ, through, through Jesus, we can know God intimately. And the beauty of the gospel is that we can know God and we can make him known. That is, is the pattern of the Christian life, is to know the Lord and to make him known. And so this morning, as we look at Deuteronomy 4, I want us to see that when you know something, when you know something, it changes what you do. But when you know someone, it changes how you live. And Deuteronomy 4 shows us this and actually points us to Jesus. So I want us to look at those two things this morning, what it means to know and then what it means to live in light of the gospel. So verse 32, we'll start there. What does it mean to know the Lord? For ask now of the days that are past, which were before you since the day that God created man on earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other whether such a great thing has ever happened or was ever heard of. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst? Has any God ever attempted to go and take a nation for himself? I mean, the writer is just laying out before amazing things that God has done. Verse 35, to you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. Look down at verse 39. Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth below. There is no other. So a couple times in this passage today we see the word know. The first in verse 35. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. And then down in verse 39. Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God. Now, we've said this before, when we open our English translations of the Scriptures, anytime the word Lord is in all capitals, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is God's covenant name, Yahweh, for his people. That is an intimate name. It is not just God, the, the force out there, but it is an intimate you know, first name of the Lord. It, it conveys to God's people his covenant relationship with them. If you were here last week, one of our MC leaders, Michael Stevens, did a great job of, of preaching on God revealing his character through covenant, right? And so um, podcasted, if you weren't here, was a great sermon. And we see uh, earlier in chapter 4, that's what uh, Moses is writing for his people and uh, for us today to, to take away. But any time the word Lord is in all capitals, it is God's covenant name. It is, it, it is his first name, relational name. I mean, there's so much uh, power in his name there. That the Lord, Yahweh, the covenant God, the, the God that covenanted with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and is now covenanting with God's people Israel through Moses, the God that covenants with Christians today through his son Jesus Christ. This is the God that is speaking to his people, and that God has done amazing things so that his people would know. Now the word know is not only an intellectual knowledge to know about something, although that's part of it. It is a more intimate knowing by firsthand experience. It is an, an intimate knowing by uh, a presence that is there. It is knowing from firsthand witness who God is and what he's done. So you and I can walk in here today and talk about stories we've heard about so-and-so or a band that you've heard of or a restaurant you've you've heard about, but unless you've gone there and eaten the food or actually listened to the music, or if you have talked about stories you've heard about God or about Jesus, but you've not experienced it firsthand, there's a disconnect with the gospel. But the beauty of the gospel, the good news is that through Christ, we know God 
firsthand experience, firsthand witness, like Moses is saying to the people here that, that God has done these things so that you might know that the Lord is God and that there is no other besides him. In verse 39, Know therefore, lay it to your heart, that the Lord is God in heaven above and the earth beneath. There is no other. So what does Scripture tell us about God here? Because God is knowable. God wants to be known. God is showing off his goodness to his people so that his people would know him and love him and follow him and worship him. Scripture tells us here that God is the creator. I mean, to know God, we have to know that God is first the creator. Verse 32, it says right there, since the day that God created man on the earth. You see, God created everything out of nothing. I mean, the whole, the whole Old Testament is coming into this. You, you can't just read this passage and say, that's cool. You have to kind of backtrack into Genesis and see that God created everything out of nothing. In the very beginning of the Bible, in the beginning, God created everything out of nothing, just spoke it into existence. There's no other God like that. No other religion, no other philosophy can tell you this kind of amazing story of a God that has always existed and that out of his own goodness and grace decided just to speak and the universe came into existence. That is amazing. This amazing ethereal God that is, that is up there doing amazing cosmic things for eternity comes down and then speaks to his people to love them, to say that you, you are my people, I am your father, I am your God, I want you to, to be my children and follow me. That's an amazing thing. God is the creator and there is no other like him. God works in powerful ways as verse 34 and 35 show us that God, if you read the story of Exodus, and there's several great movies out there, cartoons and you know other great films, but read the Exodus story. Read the book of Exodus and see firsthand what God did for his people. He did amazing things. I mean, amazing. Uh, scripture even says here, calls them <clears throat> trials, signs, wonders, war, by his mighty hand and an outstretched arm, by great deeds of terror. God did these amazing things to show Israel how great he is and, and to show Egypt how powerful he is. Now think, if you, if you transport your mind back into history here and think uh, of different nations warring at each other and taking over people, God's people have been captured and enslaved in Egypt. They've been, uh, for several generations, put into to forced work. Right? And all the while, God's saying, I've not forgotten about my people. I have a plan for my people. I'm going to set my people free for, for my glory, for their good, and to point to ultimate freedom in Christ is for all people in Christ. Right? This is what God's going to do. He says, I'm going to show off how good I am. Yes, I am the creator, but also let me show you how mighty I am. There's none like me. Out of heaven and, and on earth, God can do amazing signs, wonders through war, through mighty ways, God set his people free. And the beauty of it is that God is not only this creator, but he is an intimate father. God is not only this amazing, powerful God that can wage war and set nations free and do amazing, miraculous signs, but he's also the God that, that stoops quietly to talk to his children. He does that to show off how good he is. And to shape his people. Verse 36 says, Out of heaven he let you hear his voice, that he might discipline you. 
And on earth he let you see great fire, and you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. If you read the Exodus story, you know how God spoke to Moses out of a burning bush, a bush that was not consumed by the fire. You know that God spoke to Moses and gave instruction to Moses to give to the people uh, from uh, atop of a mountain. And we see that God is giving great grace to his people, working in powerful ways. But scripture says in verse 36 that he might discipline you. You see, God speaks not just to give us some trivial information, not just to say, hey, I'm God, how you doing? He's, like, you know, he's, he's intimate, but he's not like super casual and flip-flops. I mean, maybe, but I don't, I don't have a Keanu Reeves picture of the Lord. I, I, God is like this amazing, amazing God, but very gracious, but he has purpose behind his words, right? I mean, God's purpose, the first indication we see in Scripture of God speaking is to create the universe. Those are some powerful words. Can you speak and create anything? I mean, I can hardly get my kids to put their shoes on. I mean, I'd say, hey kids, put on your shoes. That was not very effective speech. God can just speak and the universe came into existence. That's amazing. But God has purpose in his speech. His words carry power. His words carry weight to reveal his character. And scripture says in verse 36 that out of heaven he let you hear his voice that he might discipline you. Discipline is a good word. It is not this retributional punishment. It is, it is shaping and forming. It is a coming alongside of to, to, to like as you would train a vine if you were growing some sort of vine. If you were growing some sort of plant or a bonsai tree, it is is a coming alongside to train with gentleness, but also with power, with with authority, but also kindness. And this is what God is doing for his people. We see that they are wandering through the wilderness. Remember, God set his people free from Egypt, says, because I'm your God, because I'm your people, because I love you, because of that, I'm going to set you free. And now that I've set you free, I want you to obey me because I'm going to take you to this land that I've promised your fathers. Right? But because of their disobedience, they don't lose their identity as God's children. They're still God's children. But because of their disobedience, there's consequence due to their rebellion. So they have to wander the wilderness for a little bit. And Scripture told us, uh, tells us numerous times that in chapter 3 we saw that this is, this is God's discipline for them, is to shape them to be the people he wants them to be, to, to train them to be his children. This is why God speaks. This is why God acts. God is a creator. God is powerful. God disciplines his children. I mean, the word speak there, the word hear, conveys like instruction and proclamation. It's not just like a word. It's, actually, it's like proclaiming good news. It's like an, an announcement and some instruction to his people. Verse 37 tells us some more about, your, about God. Bless you. Verse 37, Because he loved your fathers and chose their offspring after him and brought you out of Egypt with his own presence by his great power. Man. You see, the religions and gods of old were far-off gods that people would have to conjure to be near. You have to do a certain thing to evoke whatever. The one true God, our God, the God of Israel, Yahweh, is a God who is present. And His presence carries power. He says, uh, Scripture tells us that it's because of His presence and by his power that he drove out 
uh, drove away other nations, led his people. I mean, nations that were greater and more powerful than Israel. They saw victory not because of their own strength, because of the presence of God, God dwelling with his people. And it's a wonderful theme of Scripture is that God is present with his people. Time and time again we see it in the Old Testament, and then the Gospels start with John telling us that Jesus is God dwelling with his people, tabernacling, pitching a tent, hanging out. And that is such good news. God is loving. He loved the fathers of Israel. He loved their offspring after him. He is showing his kindness and love. So friends, as we look and see what it means to know the Lord, I don't want you to know about these things only, although that's part of it, but I want you to know by experience, by witness. This is what Scripture is saying here. He's saying, uh, look in verse 35, he's saying, to you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God. We, We want you to know right up here, but also to know, in verse 35, to know and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God. See, we don't want you to know only about God being the creator or that God, you know, about God being powerful or about God disciplining his children or about God speaking or about God being present or about God being loving. It is my hope and prayer that through Christ, by the Holy Spirit, you would know God as your creator. Not just know about God, but you know that God created you. Do you know that? Do you know that God made you? You are not an accident. You are not some idea that your parents had. You are God's idea. He made you. The same God that made nebulae and solar systems and comets and formed the earth and the oceans made you. I mean, he knit you together in your mother's womb. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. I want you to know that. That's amazing. That's beautiful. You have worth. You have value, not because of what you do or what you bring to the table, but because God made you. God doesn't make junk. God doesn't make trash. God makes beautiful creations to reflect his goodness and his power. And you are one of those. God is an amazing God who does amazing things. He is a creator. I want you to know that God works powerfully. God works powerfully in ways that we don't always understand, but God is a powerful God. The same God that created everything can uh, drive away wicked armies and part seas is the same God that can do amazing things in your heart and in your life and in your character. In fact, he does those things. He can free you from the bondage of sin and guilt and shame. He can take away your fear. God disciplines Sometimes there are consequences that are, that are feeling like a punishment, but in the end it is God shaping you, walking through a hard season. God is walking. I mean, that's what I love about this. It says God disciplines his children, but what's the next sentence? That God is present. You know, God does not lock you in a spiritual bathroom to punish you. God is present with you, discipling you, shaping you. Like, you know, uh, somebody growing uh, in a vineyard. I'm going to try this again. A, a vine dresser with a gentle hand shaping the, the direction of the vine as it grows. That is God's discipling you. God is present in your life. God knows what you're going through. God is loving the love that God showed 
the forefathers of Israel, the, God, the, the love that God is showing his people Israel is the same love that God through Christ shows you. If you are a believer through Jesus Christ, the love of God is shown to you and I. See, I don't want to get here and lecture about the Lord. It's my hope and prayer every Sunday and every time you open the Bible on your own and every time you pray and worship, whether you're with your family or by yourself, that you are encountering the living God. Because I don't want you just to know about Him. I want you to know Him. He wants you to know Him. And it is our hope and prayer. But see, there's more to just knowing. I mean, when you know about something, it might change what you do. So like... And you can know about God being powerful, so it might change how you act. But if you know someone, it changes how you live. And so rather than just tell you about the Lord so that you would do things differently, I want you to know the Lord so that you would live differently. That is uh, Moses' instruction to Israel here, saying, hey, look, God has done these things, therefore, no, look what he says here. It's not... Let's look at verse 39. Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath there is no other. Therefore you shall keep his statutes and his commandments which I command you today that it may go well with you and with your children after you that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God has given you for all time. What a powerful statement. You see, Moses says, hey look, He doesn't start with verse 40. Hey, keep his commandments. All right, God's powerful, so keep his commandments. God created everything, so you better do right. I mean, God could flood the world, so you better not sin. He doesn't say that. You can't jump into verse 40. You have to start at verse 39 and then everything before it. Know, therefore, know the Lord. Know this powerful creator who loves you, who is speaking to you, who is discipling you, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the God of Israel, the God that's doing amazing things for his people here in the book of Deuteronomy, the God that did amazing things through Christ to the disciples in the first century church, the second century church, that they're all the way up to today, like that same God through Christ by his spirit. Because you know him, know him, lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above, earth beneath, there is no other. Therefore, Because of all that good news, therefore you shall keep his statutes and his commandments which I commanded you today. Why? That it may go well with you and your children after you, that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God has given you for all time. But he's given you the land, not because you do it. You keep the commandments and the statutes because he's given you the land. And if you do that, all will go well with you. But why? What's the motivation? We know God. That's the motivation. So here's what this looks like for you and I. I mean, we're going to hammer this home, the whole book of Deuteronomy. Remember verse 38? It says here that um, God is bringing you in to give you their land for an inheritance. We've said this numerous times. We're going to keep saying it. That word inheritance is not go take something because you're strong and you see something you want to go get it. It is It is laying claim to something that is rightfully yours because of your identity as an heir. It changes everything. Israel's not marching in, conquering lands because they're awesome. They're they're walking in, receiving a gift of an inheritance because their identity is sons and daughters of God Most High. You get that? 
That, that, that changes everything. They're, they're walking in saying, because this is our God, because we have this new identity, therefore, I mean, because we know the Lord and because we know who we are as covenant sons and daughters of God Most High, therefore we obey, therefore we keep His statutes, therefore we walk into the land and we receive the gift, not because we're awesome, not because we're doing things, but because God is gracious to us, so this is how we live. So you got me on the no part. Let's talk about what it means to live, right? Because it's not enough to just know, but, but you live. You, you live out. God's people lived out a different way. God's people moved into the territory. Look what happens in verse 41. Everything's different now. God's people were in bondage, and, and as they're wandering the wilderness, God's saying, hey, look, you're not in bondage anymore, nor are you going to wander forever. This is a bondage is your past. I've set you free from that, so we're done. We're not going back to that. You're wandering for the season. This is discipline for you, but this is not forever. This is a season. We're going to be disciplined through the wandering, but the goal is to take you into a land that you will settle in and to live according to my commandments and statutes so that it will go well for you. Because you're my children, not so that you'll be my children, you are my children, and I'm giving you this land, but I want it to go well for you, so live this certain way. Look what happens in verse 41. Then Moses set apart three cities in the east beyond the Jordan that the manslayer might flee there. Anyone who kills his neighbor unintentionally without being at enmity with him in the time past, he may flee to one of these cities and save his life. Bezer in the wilderness on the Taborland for the Rebenite, the, the Reubenites, sorry, Ramoth in the Gilead for the Gadites, and Golan in the Bashan for the Manasites. All right, so what had happened is, is they were paving out cities of refuge for people who had uh, accidentally maybe killed somebody. Oops. But taking care of people so that there would not be harsh retribution on them. Right, that, so that there would be a place for those uh, to have a safe haven. That's unheard of in this day. Right? Back in this day, that was totally unheard of. It's probably kind of unheard of today, right? This is a, a countercultural thing for God's people to live differently, to say, look, we're, we're going to have communities of grace, even for, for manslayers to have a place to seek refuge. Right? It's not like, oh, you killed that guy, I'm killing you and all your cattle too, and burn your city. No, it's like, you know what, God has given us this land as stewards uh, because of his goodness, and so we want to have a place where people uh, who has a manslayer who has accidentally killed somebody to have a place of refuge. Look at verse 44. This is the law that Moses set before the people of Israel. These are the testimonies, the statutes and the rules that Moses spoke to the people of Israel when they came out of Egypt beyond the Jordan in the valley opposite Beth Peor and the land of Sahon and the king of the Amorites who lived in Heshbon, whom Moses and the people of Israel defeated when they came out of Egypt. And they took possession of his land. God gave them land. God is so good. And he says, people, just, just, I'm going to give you this land. And the land of Og, king of Bashan, and the two kings of the Amorites who lived the east beyond the Jordan, from Aor, which is in the edge of the valley of Arnon, as far as Mount Sarion, that is Hermon, together with all the Arabah on the east side of the Jordan, as far as the Sea of Arabah, under the slopes of Pisgah. Some detail there. Suffice to say, is a lot of land. A lot of kingdoms were overthrown because of God's goodness to his people. 
And as God's giving them this land, he says, look, I want it to go well for you. Don't blow what I've purchased for you. Don't ruin this. <laughs> I'm freeing you because I'm a good God. I love you. You are my children. I'm going to give you all this land because of your identity in me, and therefore I want things to go well for you and for your children and even for people who do dumb stuff and make mistakes like manslaying. Give them a safe haven, a place where they can experience a little bit of grace. And all of this comes from knowing the Lord. All of this stems from verse 39. Let's read it again. Know therefore today and lay it to your heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. To know involves knowing about, yes, but it involves more than that. Laying it to your heart is not just a touchy-feely way of just saying, just hug the truth. That is a statement that means to turn, to repent. the word repent there. That means within every ounce of your being, every ounce of your, uh, your thoughts, but also your emotions and your volition, every part of your character, to turn it Godward, to repent, to turn away from this thing and to turn to God. That's what it means to lay it to your heart. It's an implication of, of being revived and to being restored. There's so much in that word. I just don't want to put it to your heart. I don't, I don't want to just, man, it is, it is the, just memorize verse 39 this week. Just focus on that one statement because it, it's like a, throwing a rock in a huge ocean. It's like the, it ripples out to the whole passage before and after. To, to know God and to lay it to your heart. To know about who God is and what he's done, but also to know him intimately. And that changes every part of you. Not just your thoughts and what you do, but how you live. It changes a, a total orientation of your emotions, your intellect, your, your volition. It changes the orientation of your family and your motivations and career and school and where you live and how you spend your free time, how you steward your money, how you steward your property, how you drive your car. Everything. It's a total reorientation, and, and, and I just I love the word. It's like lay it to your heart, repent, turn, be restored. Isn't that good news? Be restored to the Lord. You may be sitting here thinking, Jeremy, I grew up in the church, things were great, had a bad season, walk, joined the club. That's my story. You want to hear it? I'll share it to you over lunch. Buy me lunch, and I'll tell you my story. All the details. If you take me somewhere fancy, I'll share with you some real details. If you want to meet at Chick-fil-A, you get the, that version. But Right? Maybe you grew up in the church. You say, hey, look, I felt close to the Lord in middle school during youth group. I felt close to the Lord when I lived with my family. But, man, when I went off to college, things got a little squirrely, and I just don't know where I am anymore. Maybe I need to make up for lost time. You know what this says? This says that you know God because of who he is and what he's done. You can know him intimately through Jesus Christ. Lay it to your heart means to be restored. It's to be revived, to be renewed. It, you have renewal by the Holy Spirit in Christ back to your God. You don't have to make up for lost time. You don't have to pay penance. You don't have to say, well, since I did this bad thing, maybe I can do these good things and maybe work my way back into God's good graces. For some of you, that may be the motivation why you are here today. 
You woke up feeling guilty and afraid and said, maybe I just need to get my hiney to some church and see what happens. I'm so glad you're here, but here's the good news. Just showing up here is not going to do anything for you to get back into God's good graces. The way you get back into God's good graces is because he's a gracious God who loves you. And through Christ, the promises to God's people are appropriated to you. But laying that to your heart means to be restored to be renewed, to be revived, to reorient, to repent, to turn back to the Lord. Because He is Creator, because He is powerful, because He disciplines His children, because He is present with His people, because He is loving. And it's such good news. And that good news prompts action. I mean, A change of character and identity prompts a new way of living, which is what Moses says. So, therefore, this is so hokey, but I'm going to say it anyway. Seminary professor used to say, anytime you see that word, what's the word therefore? Well, what's it therefore? So what is the word therefore? Therefore. It's saying, because you know the Lord, because you're laying it to your heart, therefore, keep his statutes, his commandments. You can't do Christian life apart from being a Christian. We can't do godly things apart from being gods, belonging to God. And so to wrap it up, I want to say this, because I know this is, I mean, Old Testament is hard stuff. Deuteronomy is broad. It's thick. It's so good. But here's what I want you to do, what I want you to know. I want you to know the Lord. I want you to read Scripture and just see what, who God is and what He does. I want you to know him. I want us to live differently at his people. I don't want us to do things out of ill motivations. I want us to do godly things because we belong to the Lord, because we know the Lord, because we are turning our hearts back to him. We could fake the funk all day long. I can give you a list of what to do. You want me to? Don't drink, don't smoke, have your quiet time 15 minutes a day, invite neighbors over once a week. I can tell you what to do, but if it's done with non-gospel motivations, man, that's silly. That's a waste of time, and in the end, nobody's going to know the Lord. I want people to know the Lord. So what we can do is say, hey, how do we know the Lord, and how do we live as his people? Because that way we can make him known. That's great. Here's what, we, what I want us to do. First and foremost, because I want us to, to, this points us to Jesus. It does. And here's how. First and foremost, we have to see that true life comes from knowing the Lord. Uh, the only true life comes from knowing the Lord. I mean, knowing the Lord is creator and powerful that he disciplines. But how do we do that today? Because we're not Israel. We're not wandering the wilderness. We don't, most of us don't even understand Hebrew. So how, how, do we, how do we do that? Scripture tells us this, that we know the Lord God through Jesus Christ. Right? John 14, Jesus says this. In John 14, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So if you're here today and you're uh, not a believer or you're kind of a skeptic or even if you're a Bible scholar and you're saying, Jeremy, you've dropped Jesus' name numerous times. I don't see Jesus' name in Deuteronomy 4 at all. Well, here's, here's one thing, is that God is knowable. We can know the Lord, but Jesus, who came a few hundred years later, stepped in and said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So I want us to to be there. 
Because if you, you can keep every rule in Deuteronomy and Leviticus, and believe me, people are doing this nowadays and writing books about living Levitically. That's so groovy. You get cool food and whatever. But if there's no Jesus in it, you will not come to God. Period. You can live, you can be more Levitical than the Levite priests in Leviticus. Apart from Christ, you will not know God. End of story. Why? How can you say that? Because Jesus says in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes to the Father except through me. You will not get close to God the Father no matter how smart you are, no matter how good you are, no matter how religious you are, no matter how moral you are, no matter how ethical you are. You could be the nicest person ever and the smartest, most benevolent person ever. If there is no Jesus in your life, you're just a nice person and hell is going to be full of some nice people. And I don't want you to be there. I want you to know God. God the creator, God the powerful discipliner of his people, God who is looking to bless his people because he is gracious and good, even making a safe haven for people that kill people. What a nice God. I want you to know him, and the only way you will know him, the only way you'll know the Father is through Jesus Christ. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. You want to see God? Look to Jesus. How do we get to know Jesus? Stick with me. Colossians 1.15, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Hebrews 1, 2, and 3, but in these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son. It's Jesus, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God. The word glory means God's revealed character. All those things we just talked about, God being creator, powerful, God's revealed character is in Jesus Christ through Glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Wow, that's Jesus. So friends, what does it mean to know the Lord? We have to know, the only way you can know God the Father is through Jesus the Son. And the way we celebrate that together is we uh, look at scripture. We study the Bible. We, we view the whole all the scriptures through the lens of Jesus. I mean, Jesus even said in John and in Luke a couple of different times is that all of the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus and that we can only understand the scriptures as we interpret them Christologically through Christ, right? And so as you read the Bible, read it through the lens of Jesus. I mean, if you are not familiar with the Bible, I would love to get you on a Bible reading plan. We'll start in the Gospels. You'll get familiar with Jesus and who he is and what he's all about. And you'll see that he quotes the Old Testament back and forth and and, and fulfilling all of these expectations of the Old Testament is living as the perfect son of God, keeping the covenant of God, just being amazing and then being a sacrifice to atone for sin and then coming back to life to show how just amazing and awesome him, he is, and then Scripture says he's seated at the right hand of God. It's a place of authority and power. He's awesome. I want you to know him. I want you to know him, and I want you to know him through Scripture. We know him by uh, reading Scripture, studying Scripture, discussing Scripture, hearing Scripture preached over you, singing the truths of Scripture over one another. We come here to sing truths to God in praise and worship, but we also sing these truths over one another. You don't, you don't have to sing. Sorry, Jason, but you guys don't have to sing. Just listen. Sometimes, half the time, I just sit in the back and listen. And to hear the truths of the gospel sung is like just nourishing to my soul. 
You guys have beautiful voices. And to hear those voices sing the truths of God, that's how we, we, we know Christ through his word as we worship together and celebrate who he is and what he's done. So, so how do we live as his people? How does this change how we live life? I mean, do we have a new rule book to live by? A couple things. Because this is like all the Christian life, so what you need to do is get in a missional community, a DNA group, and come back next Sunday, and we'll just keep, we'll keep living and growing together. Because this, the life as God's people is a, is a long journey of... Di- the word discipline is from the same where we get discipleship. And so I can't give you all the answers today and say, oh, go do better, try harder. Just say, look, let's just covenant together and experience God's goodness together. How do we live as God's people? Colossians 1.10 says, Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. All of those verbs are like ongoing things. You, you, were, you, you were bearing fruit. It's a process. You were increasing in the knowledge of God. You were walking. It's a step-by-step thing. Man, here's the, I love being a Christian because you can be a horrible Christian and still be a Christian. You can be awful at it. Welcome to the club. I'm a horrible Christian sometimes. What? It's fine. If you come in here thinking that you were like the best Christian ever, then we have an idea of where God's working, sanctifying you a little bit in the area of pride. That's okay. We all, we all have our vice. A huge vice for me is pride. I'm a cocky jerk, man. I am. I'm a prideful musician who thrives on the opinions of other people. That was my whole life until God wrecked me at 21 and I'm still working on it. 15 years later. All right, so you can be a bad Christian. You can be at various stages of faith and discipleship. I mean, welcome to the club. God's people spent, and this may discourage you, God's people spent an entire generation wandering through the wilderness in discipleship. A whole generation died off and didn't even get to see the promised land. (sighs) Come back next week. (laughs) You're signing up for a lifelong journey of disappointment and discouragement. But God loves you. 1 Thessalonians 2.12, we exhort each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. God calls you. Jesus says, you are mine. I am rescuing you. I am redeeming you. I am I'm marking you as my children. But, so how do we live like that? Well, it says each one of you, each one of you, we're going to, I want every single one of you, man, woman, child, I, I want to encourage you to walk in a manner pleasing to the Lord. But here's the good news. You don't do that by yourself. The kingdom is not one person. <laughs> kingdom is a bunch of people. God calls you into this kingdom of people that are walking together, encouraging one another. So here's how we live lives of his people. We gather around the gospel of knowing God and making him known through Jesus Christ. We gather as a community together on Sundays and larger worship gatherings with classes for our children. We have missional communities that meet through the week. We have other church gatherings like hymn sings and service projects where we get together. We have uh, DNA groups we can meet. We just have casual friendships and cookouts. That's where the gospel comes to life. That is community. That's where you can sit around the table with somebody and accidentally say a cuss word and then say, well, what's going on in your heart and how can I get... You know, I don't want to tell you to not ever cuss again. I want your heart to be changed so you won't want to cuss again. Does that make sense? I want to tell you to stop drinking. I want you to find your fulfillment in something else other than whiskey. 
I don't want to tell you to stop doing anything. I want you to just find your ultimate joy and fulfillment in Christ so that he will change you and shape you. And that's what we do together. That's why we are a church. This is why we gather. This is what we want the world to know, starting with our families, our neighborhoods, the person sitting next to you, behind you, in front of you, the kids over there, the people that work in the school, the people downtown as we move down there, the people that you go to work with and go to school work with and live near. That's why we exist. You with me? I'm just going to pray. Father God in heaven, thank you that you are a good, glorious God. Lord, I thank you that by your grace, you do amazing things to show off your kindness, that you are a powerful creator who loves wayward people. I thank you that you, because you are good, chose your people Israel to be your people, to show them your goodness, to set them free from bondage, God, to bless them with new land and territory, God, to to bless them in so many ways, and that we can look back at that story and get an image, a, a picture of how good and amazing you are. But God, I thank you that Jesus came, that that in Jesus the fullness of you, you dwelled fully in him, that he revealed your character. He's the exact imprint of your nature. And God, that we look to Christ as the powerful creator, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who can make you known to us. God, the one who makes you known to the world, the God, the one who shapes our hearts, that turns our hearts, repents our hearts, that changes us to have a Godward orientation. God, I pray that you would change our minds to think along gospel lines, that you would have our hearts beat along gospel beats, that you would have rhythms in our life come out in marriage and family and friendship and as a church-gathered community and smaller communities in our neighborhoods and schools and workplaces. God, I pray that you would pour out your blessings from Christ to us as your people and to our children and that we would may live in such a way to be a blessing to every neighborhood in the city of Augusta and that the gospel would ripple out from this place out to the nations. God, I pray that we would repent of sin, that we would repent of pride, that we would repent of religious do-goodism, that you would make us humble people God, that we would repent of fear and that we would walk away from guilt and shame of our past and the pride of our present. God, I pray you would give us great wisdom of what it means to know you and what it means to live as your people. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room as they open the scriptures and study that you would speak to them in powerful ways. God, as they listen to... uh, other preachers on podcasts or worship music on their way to work or as they discuss gospel things with their children in the home or with their spouses or with their friends over coffee. God, I pray that you would be present with them, that you would wreck their hearts and minds, just blow our minds away with how wonderful you are. God, we're, we're a disaster without you. We can do some cool stuff, but apart from you, if you're not in it, what's the point? So God, I pray that you would make your presence known in our hearts and minds in this community. God, you've been so gracious to us. I pray that you continue to do so for your glory and for our joy ultimately in Christ and that the good news of Jesus would ripple out from this place to the nations. We ask in his holy name. Amen.